back, my friends, to the In Obscuria podcast, a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal, and we put them in one of three categories, the lost, the forgotten, or the should-have-beens. This week, I'm calling myself Robert Harrison, and that over there is Kevin Williams. What is this, backwards world? Whoops. Sorry. Flip that around. Robert, what's going on this week with you, sir? I don't know. My ears are still ringing from the ghost fest last week. Did you do your homework, by the way? Yeah. Did you listen to some Danko Jones? No. No. Was that my homework? That was your homework. Oh, Dio ate it. Look on my iPod. Yeah, <laughs> Dio ate my Danko Jones homework. Yeah. He did not eat your iPod, no. Okay, good. Look on my iPod. I think there might be some- Which one? Goodies on there. I gave you two? Four. I gave you four? I got like four, three or four of your iPods. Oh, I don't know. The one that has the metal Pink on one, it. the white one. The, the white one. Green one. Okay, I will look that up. That one's kind of filthy. It's been down the workshop a little bit. <laughs> it's got some fingerprints on it. Well, there should be some Danko on there. Okay. How's everybody else doing out there? Hey, I know what you're watching. You're watching a rock and roll band. Smack dab in the middle of a bunch of heavy metal hard rock bands. But to me, that's all right. How many heavy metal headbangers out there count themselves as real rock and rollers too? Raise your hand. Right on, rock and rollers, heavy metal headbangers, all are welcome. We're here to play our brand of rock and roll. That's JC on bass guitar. Rich knocks on drums. And me, well, my name is Danko Jones. Yeah, it looks like all the cups and everything got cleaned up and off the grounds. Yeah, we got outside. a pretty good maintenance staff that uh, showed up and helped us out, some action hippies. What's great about Ghost Fest is they don't really mess up your grass at all. Like, nah. everything's, nothing's matted down or demolished or broken. Just or some paranormal matter. A little bit yeah. of paranormal matter. A little green goo here Hulk or there. East. Yeah, no big deal. Awesome. Well, what's going on this week? I got nothing. I mean, I've been working my ass off. It's just not a fun time. Profitable time, not a fun time. Mm. So I'm going to take some time off in a couple of months and I'm working real hard right now to prepare for that to take a couple of months off and so it's just been like I said we had a cookout last uh, Sunday I think oh man now that's worth talking about made the most kick-ass grilled chicken I'll give you the recipe ready All right. two things yes two things well, right. besides, chicken. The, besides the chicken that's, <laughs> that's just a given because it's grilled chicken Dijon mustard Parmesan cheese enjoy one of life's finer pleasures pardon me would you have any gray poupon but of course, Grey Poupon, it even has wine. Slather that stuff all over that chicken, put it on the grill. Oh, man. So everything goes on prior to putting it on the yeah, grill. Yeah, you just slop it all on there. You wrap it work in. Work it all. You don't in. wrap it in foil or anything? No, no, no. no. It's slap it right on really hot. And I've got a wood-burning grill, so it's like cooking over a campfire. It was so good. Sounds oh, easy. Sounds delicious. I've got delicious. Like two pieces left downstairs. I'm going to have those in just a minute. Nice. As soon as you play a song, I'm going to go grab one. <laughs> You're not going to pay attention to go grab <laughs> no, one? No, I'm just going to go, go eat a piece of chicken and come got back. It. Catch okay. the last 30 seconds. That's all you need. That's all I need. That's all you really need. That's all we should be playing anyway. What's up with you? I got nothing as well. There's nothing going on this week. It wasn't an exciting week. It was just kind of a normal week. Just kind of, yeah. Now, when this comes out... It will be the week of July 4th. So happy 4th of July to all of our American listeners. Yes.
Anyone else from around the world? Well, you don't care. We're the horrible colonists that rebelled against our British friends over there across the sea. <laughs> we're still friends. Yeah, yeah. We, we were kind of assholes back then. Yeah, but we, we had a little tiff. Yeah, and they left, we worked, and then we were friends again. Yeah, we invited them back. Now it's because we're men. Yeah. See, if the Revolutionary War would have been fought by women, no, there would be still talking. be a problem. Mm-mm, we wouldn't be talking. <laughs> be talking about them. Go but not listen to them. Go listen to a woman scorned. Yes. <laughs> for more on that. <laughs> Episode number. Yeah, we, we we drink with our British. Now. Yeah, no it's all good. Well, after you piss off a Brit, go listen to Pot of Thunder, <laughs> Cobras and Fire, Growing Up Rock, Slamfest Podcast, Decibel Geek, A to Z Radio, Metal Up Your Podcast, The Hustle, Disciples of the Watch, Podcast Rock City, State of Amorica, Rock Strikes 10, Potter Than Hell, Podcast, The Kiss Room, Ages of Rock, Retro Zest Podcast, The Synaptic Empire, and don't forget about Monty, Monty's Rockcast. Come visit us at inobscuria.com. Like us, share us, recommend us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We read two reviews last week. Keep those coming so oh, we had, can read some more. I had an in-person review. In-person review. Somebody came up to me at a coffee shop here in town and said, hey, I listened to your podcast. I enjoyed it. I'm did, like, cool. That's an in-person wearing a shirt? review. Were you, were you representing? How did they know? No, they knew who I was. Oh, they just know yeah. you. Yeah. But so I didn't know they listened and they just, uh, a new friend. I don't know him that well. And like out of the blue, he's like, hey, I listened to your podcast and I liked it. I'm like, Man, you should put that in writing. Well, well, yeah, exactly. In five stars. Yeah, five stars. Yes. Put that in writing. Well, thank you very much, new friend, for giving us not even snail mail. This is the true old school way yeah, of delivering. Walk smack me in the face. Delivering a message. Yeah, I'm glad it was positive because it sucks getting in person crappy reviews. <laughs> hey, you I listen to your podcast and it was horrible. <laughs> you dumbass. You guys are idiots. Well, that's what Ryan does. He walks up. Well, this is true. You dumbass. You messed up. <laughs> Calls me out. No, but also notice we've got a few more participants on our Facebook posts. We do. Uh, that's kind of cool. We so do. some new faces there, too. Some old ones. Steve's always good to leave us a comment. Brad, Ryan, they're all the standbys. And then we had a few new ones. We do. We have several new folks, I think, thanks to, some of them thanks to Pot of Thunder. So yeah. thank you to Pot of Thunder for always Definitely helping us you. and repping us and allowing me to come on their show and ruin it for a little bit every once in a while. They have Jericho and then they have me. <laughs> also red. Hey, and Kevin hmm, One of these things is not like the other. You don't talk with your hands, though. Oh, I, I do, actually. You, no, not as much. You don't do the duck thing. I don't. Yeah, we'll just throw this out. The yeah. one thing we noticed about Chris Jericho, if you've ever seen Fozzie. Does he do it in music videos or just live? I don't know. We, we'll have to go check that okay. out. But live, and you guys out there listening, tell me if you notice this as well. He talks with his hands, but it's not like a... It's like a puppetry talking. It's like, it's like he has a puppet on his hands. Yeah. And he's talking like little mouths with his hands. Yeah, like a sock puppet or something like that. Like he's duck. literally doing duck hands yeah. while he sings. Just it's, tell just tell me if you notice this. Yeah, it, once you see it, you can't see it. Just be us. No, no, no. no. It's got to be other people. We're, I thought we were the ones that noticed it, though. Yeah. Nobody else seemed to comment about it except us douchebags. Yeah, well, that makes sense. <laughs> So the one thing I did do last week is I tried to start watching the new season of Stranger Things. Have you ever, you tried the first season, I did right? the first season. I got bored. I mm. just wanted to watch it because of the nostalgia factor. Right. I saw some old cars. Uh, I think they actually reached out to get the band van, our band van, and it fell through. Fell through. Because it, yeah. it's kind of too bright of a blue. It'd stand out too much. But yeah, seeing the old cars, the old video games, the old clothes and things like that, it was fun. But the storyline, eh, you know. A little I just, too sci-fi for yeah, you. Yeah, a little too sci-fi. I don't get into yeah. that too much. So If you... I mean, most people are aware of Stranger Things, but what you may not know is that we live in Atlanta, Georgia. That is where they film mm-hmm. this program, even though I don't believe that's where it's set. But the new season, I believe it's season four, if I got that right, but it's set in the year 1986. Oh, they're up to 86. Okay. Yeah, so they're up to 86, and it has all the things in it. And I only watched like most of the first episode. I didn't mm-hmm. get all the way through, so I'm not really... 
a good a fair weather fan. No, what, what what do they call it uh, when you watch all the a binge? I'm not a binge. Binge, yeah, binge yeah. watch. That's what yes, I was looking yes, for. Yes, I'm yes. not a very good binge you watcher. You watch it all in one day. Right. But I know people that do that. But anyway, it has all the things, at least in the first episode, that make up the mid-80s and what they were. It has the metalheads in it. They got mm. a new character who was a metalhead. And He's got the jacket. It's got a battle deal. jacket. Yeah, got a battle vest and Dio on the back. They have the preppies in it. They have the nerds, obviously, because those are your main characters. Yeah. My sister was the preppy. You got the new wave kids who were still out there in 86. It was kind of starting to wane but they're still Mm. in there and you got the pop music kids and we have talked about the year 1986 a lot on the show and I think to me 86 was the most 80s the 80s ever got that particular year it's dead in the middle the 70s were all completely gone yeah and it was like that. You can't get any more 80s than 1986, in my opinion. That's why I started watching it. I think the story's kind of cool. Now, the one thing about the show is it focuses on something called the Upside Down. Right. That's what I thought we were starting off in. <laughs> you said you were Robert. I'm like, wait a minute. Hang on. Oh, hmm. See what I did there. Yeah. So anyway, the Upside Down is like a mirror dimension. And that's what the whole show is based on is mm-hmm. this one kid has some kind of psychic ability and can travel to the this mirror dimension they call the Upside Down. And it's real dark and ominous and dirgy versus 1986, which is very Mm. 80s, bright poppy. So it got me thinking about when a meeting of two mirror worlds happened in rock music Mm -hmm. and in reality. And so this week, Robert, we've talked about this before, and this is a term that I coined, so no one's going to know what it means, but this is episode 133, The Inbetweeners, when the 80s met the 90s. Oh, okay. Okay. This is a term that I coined Mm -hmm. called the in-betweeners. We've talked about a lot of bands that we think fit in this, or at least that I think fit in this, and that's what we're going to talk about. So in the late 80s, there were a bunch of bands that were somewhat outside of the status quo, specifically in the hard rock and metal world. And these were bands that were playing music that was more genre and categorization defying. Mm -hmm. And back then, you only had certain genres. Everybody wanted to put somebody in a bucket, right? So a lot of these bands, they were kind of straddling the 80s hard and heavy world and what was to come with the 90s alternative world before that was a thing. Mm. And so people didn't know where to put them. They were bands that were cool with the metalheads. They had videos on Headbangers Ball, but they were also cool with the college rock and punk rock kids. And so their videos were on 120 Minutes. Those are both programs that were specialized video programs on MTV at the time. Mm. Hi there, and a warm welcome to another cranium-crunching edition of the heaviest show known to metal kind. Tonight, we're joining in the festivities of MTV's Top 100 Videos of All Time weekend with our own selection of top tunes chosen for us by the likes of Danzig, Dream Theater, and Pantera. And when it comes to the most extreme and brutal videos, look no further than our all-time favorite Triple Thrash Treat, which will be selected for us by tonight's special studio guests, Meanwhile, our regular format will be getting to grips with the latest releases from Corrosion of Conformity, Testament, Halloween, Warrior Soul and L7, leaving you in no doubt whatsoever that you're tuned to the show that's always more than metal, Headbangers Ball. Sunday night. 
On a, and watching 120 minutes. I see your lips moving. <laughs> Into the future. Minutes. Right here, the second of tonight's two world premiere videos. It's from the Seattle band Nirvana and their second album, Nevermind. Here's the planet's first look at Smells Like Teen Spirit. And these are bands that would have perhaps been played on both of those. Headbangers Ball was Saturday night and 120 minutes. I think was. it was after Headbangers Ball, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was really late. Really late because the goths, you know, they yeah, don't they, sleep. Yeah, they're up all night. No one knew how to label them. A lot of them got thrown in with mainstream glam metal. If they were had any kind of heaviness to them, they got kind of thrown in with glam metal or thrown in with thrash or they were called progressive. And prior to the word alternative, I looked this up to make sure I was clear, but prior to the word alternative, which was a 90s phrase, progressive was a catch-all for anything that was outside the norm mm. or anything that had some experimentation with it or that was ambitious, more ambitious than the other genres. So it was real easy to throw these bands and call them progressive metal or progressive bands when they weren't really yes or genesis of what we think yeah, of today as prog. prog rock. Progressive and prog, kind of two different things. Until the word alternative was kind of started being used, that's the label that a lot of these bands got. Mm. And because of that, a lot of these bands never got their due really. They never got a fair shake into the 90s because they had been previously labeled. So I'll give you an idea of what we're talking about. So a notable in-betweener band, I think, Extreme, right? They got lumped in with hair metal. Mm. They kind of well, had that look. Well, they they accepted the fandom of the hair sure. metal crowd. Sure. Because they had a lot of hair. And they had the hair. They were rocking. Yeah. But at the same time, they were more than that. They yeah. were funky. More, they were more they, than words. They were I more mean. than words. <laughs> Yep. They left a hole in your heart. <laughs> yes. They <laughs> Look, you know what? Get the funk out. <laughs> anyway, they had more to offer than just that, but that's how they got labeled. Yeah. Faith No More is another one where when they started with their first singer, you really didn't know where to categorize them, mm -hmm. but they were heavy. So, well, they must be metal. But then they come along and get a new singer and you really don't know where to categorize them. They have a big hit. So, oh, we're going to call them, I don't know, <laughs> we'll just call them glam metal meets mm -hmm. thrash. And they never had a categorization until the 90s, really. But they didn't They didn't have any follow-up hits after that, but they were absolutely lumped in with Alternative because you'd see their video on MTV along with the Chili Peppers and everybody not else. Not until the 90s. Yeah, so not until the 90s. Not until that but they, became Their one hit kind of got moved further down the road into the 90s, whereas yeah. Extreme, you know, they had their big hits, well, 89, 90, and then... Yeah, 90, 91. 99, one. Their, okay, 99, one. And then by the time Alternative really hit, they didn't follow up with anything. So they kind of stuck with well, that. Well, they did. They just, they had been previously labeled, so right. they weren't given a heard shot. It. Right. And that's kind of what I'm going for, is a lot yeah. of these bands, they, they get labeled, especially if they have some success. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm talking about here. So even the cult. Yeah, was, the cult, that was the like, first thing I thought of when you talk about in-betweeners. Like they were kind of goth, kind of metal. They they didn't even know what they were because they nah, would change from they, album to album. But they didn't really know where to put them. Mm -hmm. And then there's a couple of bands, two bands that we've talked about and done shows on. So King's X is one. Galactic Cowboys is the other one mm -hmm. where they were heavy, but they had kind of these Beatles harmonies. Mm -hmm. 
people loved them but didn't know what to do with them. Corrosion of conformity. COCs. Yeah, yeah. another one. They were they were Heavy. punk band. Then they were a metal band. Stoner. They, uh, it's they, less, yeah, stoner rock gets thrown in there a lot. Yeah. And then whatever else you could throw at how it. About, uh, how about a band we did two episodes on, Warrior Soul? Mm-hmm. That's where we use this term a lot. And they started off the same way. They were heavy, but they weren't quite fitting into what was then. And then when it came to the 90s, they still didn't fit in because they weren't all the way grunge or alternative. Again, that's kind of what we're going to talk about. Another band that did do well, White Zombies, probably one. Mm-hmm. And there's several bands from New York. It seemed like a lot of the New York bands like Warrior Soul, White Zombie, that were around that scene in the late 80s, they kind of transitioned. Some of them made it and some of them didn't. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about one that we had at Ghost Fest called The Front. In the 90s, like I said, people did not immediately accept these bands as perhaps they would have if these bands had waited mm-hmm. to come out <laughs> until that time. They probably would have been in with the Sound Gardens and the Stone Temple Pilots, but they nobody, had already... Nobody knew this. There was no crystal ball yeah, that you, said, hey, you, you may want to just lay low for about six months. Yeah, they were already labeled, and most of them held on to their sound. That's what they sounded like. So Extreme didn't change what they were doing. They did get a little heavier in the 90s, which is what a lot of these bands did. They get, maybe they got a little heavier to try to, I don't know, sort of morph. But they didn't stray too far from their sound and therefore they were pretty much ignored both in the 80s and the 90s. So I give you the in-betweeners. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the first one up is a band from Houston, Texas, formed in 1991. So right as things were on the cusp of really changing, they shared the same production and management team as King's X and Galactic Cowboys, which was a guy named Sam Taylor. He had Wild Silas Music Works. And so he did all the production on the first King's X and Galactic Cowboys albums. And he had this band called Atomic Opera, which was, I thought, a cool, pretty kick-ass name. Now, the way that Atomic Opera came onto my map was my band in college called Minor Earth. We got somehow, I'm trying to remember exactly how we got the opportunity, but we got the opportunity to go up to Washington, D.C., which was a good, I don't know, five, six hour drive from where we were based in South Carolina to play a gig at some bar, one gig at some bar. And we were, it was the summertime. We were yeah. like, hell yeah, There's why no, not? And tell me about the uh, arrangement. So the guaranteed payout for you guys was? Hmm. Yeah, we didn't... Uh, Probably, you didn't. You we didn't probably ask. didn't factor that in. You didn't really think all. about that. No. Yeah, and the gas money, the beer money. The I know how food. we. I know what we stayed with Paul's then girlfriend, Paul uh-huh. Johnson, yeah. who's our bass player, who's also one of our bass yes. players in one of our bands. Yes, Aaron was living in D.C. We stayed with oh. her, so he. It must have been through Paul that we got this gig. Okay, so we all go up there. We all sleep on Aaron's floor in her apartment, <laughs> and we play this one gig. And what was like a, I don't know. <laughs> Like a sports bar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like with barely Everybody's a stage. Everybody's watching football or something like that. With and, barely a stage. Yeah. And for some reason, I, I do remember that I forgot my shoes. How does someone get in the car and forget their shoes? And I had no money. I was broke, broke, broke. And so we went to the Army Navy store, and the only pair of combat boots that I could find that like were really 13. cheap. They were Yeah, they were 13s, and they were like sliding all over my feet because I'm at best an 11 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we played this gig, but we spent, you know, the whole weekend up in D.C. And yeah. of course, the thing that I love to do is go to record stores and things like that. And I remember Paul found a promotional copy of this Atomic Opera disc. And for some reason, he knew what it was. He's like, oh, this is from the same guy that did King's X. And so anyway, Paul bought Atomic Opera, put it on. And I was like, whoa, it sounds like King's X and Galactic Cowboys, but it's got a little bit of difference to it. Mm-hmm. So everything that Sam Taylor touched 
back in those days had a very similar sound. It was super heavy, chunky guitars, and then he would have this blend of Beatles-esque harmonies Mm -hmm. over top of this stuff. That's the sound of King's X to this day, Galactic Cowboys as well, whenever they decide to do something. Sam Taylor himself was originally the video producer for ZZ Top. So all those great videos from the early 80s. That was Sam Sam Taylor. Got legs, sleeping bag. But then he goes and he decides he's going to start a production company called Wild Silas Music Works and he has that trilogy of bands from Houston. Things didn't really end that well between all of those bands and him, mm-hmm. but there was some gold in the early 90s. Now, Atomic Opera, you've actually seen, I believe, you tell me in a minute, I think you might have seen their bass player because their original bass player was a guy named Lynn Sonier or Sonier. I don't know how mm-hmm. he pronounces it. You know, I could, had a crystal Sonier in high school that was, that was so maybe a Sonier. <laughs> maybe Sonier. Yeah. His brother is Dane. Dane is in Galactic Cowboys, so that's kind of cool. In 2016, Lynn would be the bass player in Atlanta's very own Stuck Mojo when Rich Ward decided to put that band back together. So did you go see Stuck Mojo with me? I can't remember. I can't remember either. When was this? Not I know I know. Uh, this was 2016. Oh, 2016. Oh, so, when they put it back together. When yes. he, yeah, when he decided to do another Stuck Mojo album. So Lynn was the bass player. Yeah, I can't remember that far okay, back. Okay, well, anyway. I can't remember what happened. I thought that was today. a cool little nugget of information. It was cool. But Lynn was the original bass player in Atomic Opera, I believe he left pretty soon after they put their first album out or something like that. But they were signed in 1994. So this is an in-betweener that was a little bit later than the rest. Mm-hmm. They got their start in 91. Their album didn't come out until 94, even though they recorded it probably two years earlier. But they got signed to a deal by a renowned studio exec named Derek Shulman. Now, we've played Derek Shulman before as well, because he, in the 70s, was in a prog rock band called Gentle Giant. Oh, yeah. We talked about we've that. We talked about that. So he went on to be this famous famous studio exec and I think he's still doing it to this day Atomic Opera toured with King's X makes sense and they toured with Dio in 1994 which I'm sure was a club tour yeah that was in the in-between days for Dio as yeah, well. Yeah, all the big metal artists were having their in-between days as well. Iron Maiden, all those you Maiden, can see in a yeah. club. I saw Maiden at the Masquerade. Yeah, that's Crazy. something else. So the other thing, Atomic Opera were not necessarily a Christian rock band, but they were Christian and they made no apologies in their lyrical themes. You know, kind of similar to King's X. They originally were kind of doing the same thing where it was more Christian-based content, but they didn't go under that moniker of we're a Christian rock band. Mm-hmm. In fact, Atomic Opera spoke out against Christian rock because they, they just felt like it was stupid. <laughs> like, why put yourself in a separate bubble? Genre, why separate yeah. yourself and just play to people that are converted? Like, mm. that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, I thought that was interesting as well. They never broke through. They were definitely an in-betweener. And by the time they put out their first album in 94, there's no way this would have pushed through at that point in time because even grunge was on its way mm. down at that point. So just a timing issue with them. They did end up having four full lengths from 94 to 2000. Here again, here's another band that recorded a full album that has been shelved and never released. So they have a fifth album out there somewhere, never got released. Maybe one day. And this band can't go and re-record that and then release it? There's some type of well, uh, usually legal it's, matters? Usually it's a legal thing where somebody owns it and they don't own the masters or yeah. it's just not fiscally possible to go possible. start from scratch. It, it just doesn't make it. sense for them to put the money into what it would take to put it out Okay, on their own. That's unfortunate. I mean, in this day and age, they could do it digitally but you know that wouldn't cost anything but mm. I don't know we shall see anyway I'm going to play something from that very first album that Paul Johnson picked up when we played our big gig in DC this is Atomic Opera with a song called Joyride Joyride 
talk about some chunky guitars. I know, right? The unique 90s guitar sound that a lot of bands had back then. I, I really like that. I, I truly miss being able to actually hear the guitar and not just noise. And here I go in my rant again about modern music. But yeah, chunky guitars that have riffs to them that you can follow along and bass lines and all kinds of stuff like that. That I'm just stuck. I, I swear, you know, that was it. I'm stuck in the 90s, I guess. That's that's all I'm going to get from here on out. But the harmonies are such an interesting dichotomy with that, how heavy that is. I mean, they're soaring, like I said, Beatles-esque harmonies right over the top of that, but just chunk, chunk right below it. Yeah, we've said it before. They had figured out by the time we got to the 90s, they had figured out how to really record good guitar sounds yeah. before the end of the 90s where everything got screwed up because everybody went digital. Digital, straight from the board. Like it's you no just had it. perfected it. Yeah recording industry and then you go and screw it all up with this digital crap i very rarely hear it again you'll hear it with bands greta van bleed and things like that they've got more of an authentic guitar sound to them versus the heavy stuff that's played on the radio but yeah i'll take that more authentic sound all day every day give me a marshall give me a fender give me something i can listen to and go oh yeah that's a fender or that's a marshall and you just can't hear that with anything else right now it's so damn heavy and just noise and atomic opera were probably the heavier of the trilogy of bands that sam had and they were probably the most diverse. Yeah. Like in that one song that you just heard, it was like a musical goulash. I mean, you got everything from <laughs> goulash. Yeah, man. You got Ooh, everything from some uh, chicken on that. Like Metallica riffs with, uh-huh. and then you got a little bit of funk there, yeah. and then you had like this Led Zeppelin kind of almost breakdown yeah. in the middle, and then yeah, King's Beatles. Beatles definitely more melodies and things like that. A lot of groove, a lot of groove, a lot of groove. But they, they could be heavy, but not nearly yeah, as not heavy like as that. that. Galactic Cowboys could. They were pretty riffy, thrashy mm-hmm. as well. But I don't know something about Atomic Opera they were kind of the just a, a true mix of everything and they're the ones had the least amount of success alright let's talk about a band from your neck of the woods from Sarasota Florida uh, so far south of my neck of the woods well it's Florida yeah, Florida's a big state it's, it's very <laughs> diverse you got North Florida which is the Redneck Riviera South Florida which is basically southern New Jersey or North Cuba and then in between it's just old people okay retirees well, alright well this is a band from Sarasota Florida Florida. You were from Florida, so I was trying it's to stress there. Yeah, it, it's... Sarasota, you know, back in the days, let's say 20 years ago, it was very similar to my neck of the woods. Now it's fancy. Okay. It's super fancy now. All right. Well, this band formed in 1983, so they are a much older band than a lot of the other ones we're going to talk about today. And they actually had some international acclaim in the mid-80s because they were considered one of the pioneers of the American progressive metal movement. They were a true progressive mm. metal band in the 80s. And so they were lumped in with Queensryche, Dream Theater, Fate's Warning, and a band from Texas called Watchtower, who actually became Dangerous Toys. They became a glam band later, but that's another story. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I know that band. So this band is called Crimson Glory. And what happened was as the we got to the end of the 80s, the lead singer was had an amazing range. He, all these guys that were in the 80s, progressive metal bands, were they, you mm. said it last week, the helium guys. Yeah. The guys that could just sink so high and hold the notes out for like three minutes mm. and while you go on a smoke break. Yeah, they couldn't even hear them. They're inaudible. <laughs> and, yeah, they could call all the dogs in the neighborhood. Well, they had one of those guys, and his name was Midnight. He just went by Midnight. Oh, and, so serious. Uh, th- in fact, this band, not only did he go by Midnight, but he had all the guys in the band wear masks. Oh. So they wore silver masks. Yeah, so kind of pre-slipknot. And the mask got so hot after the first tour that they did is they cut all the bottoms off. So it was only covering their eyes. Phantom of the opera or half, style. Or half, exactly. So Classy. it was only covering half of their face. Yeah. Their first 
album comes out, it kind of looks like Phantom of the Opera, the cover, because it has the mask kind of half So were mask. they just really ugly, and he didn't want to say that? <laughs> I think they were just going for a gimmick. I guess so. You know, nobody in the 80s was doing the mask thing, so yeah. they were trying it. Like I said, they had a little success. Except I mean, for... they toured with Metallica. They toured with Ozzy, Queensryche, Udo, Doro. They, they must have done a German tour, because they had Udo and Doro. <laughs> and they had Anthrax. Oh, that was one band. Udo Doro. Yeah. They had a little success, and they even beat Florida's very own Sabotage for a Florida Music Award in 1989. Oh, that's big stuff. Ooh. But what happened was when the guitarist decided to leave in 89, Midnight was finally able to take over the band from a musical direction. And he didn't really want to do the progressive metal thing. What he wanted to do was be an in-betweener. He didn't know that at the time, but that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to kind of bring in some of the glamminess of what was going on at that point in time and also be a little more progressive in the sense of being kind of what was to become alternative. And so they record this album in, uh, in 1990 that gets released in, I believe 91, it could be 90, called Strange and Beautiful. And they got signed to Atlantic to release this album. So things were on the up and up for them. They kind of changed their sound, like I said. And to me, they became an in-betweener. I remember picking this thing up because I had read about this band. I was getting into progressive music, right, in the early 90s. And I had read about this band. I picked this album up and I'm like, I was kind of like deflated a little bit. I'm like, this isn't progressive to me. This isn't, this isn't Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't stuff I was listening to. Where's on, the noodly and the yeah, diddly? Yeah, where's all the noodly diddly stuff? <laughs> but what it is, is a really good in-betweener album. And so I'm going to play from that album. Now, funny thing is, Midnight takes control of this band finally. And then before the tour starts, he decides to retire. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, so they had to quickly get a replacement singer. If he would have just stayed, they go on tour again with Ozzy, mm-hmm. but they also go on tour with Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. That's in the crossover they needed. That's what they needed. That was the yeah. push they needed. But Midnight's not there, and I don't know who the new guy was, but I'm assuming he just couldn't replace mm-hmm. what Midnight was doing, and so it didn't happen for him. Shot himself you, in the foot. You you wonder, does he regret that, or is he like, yeah, whatever, I don't care? Well, so they ended up reuniting in the mid-2000s, but Midnight apparently has some issues, because he got arrested for drunk driving, and so they the band decided to split with him, like, mm-hmm. like he's a loose cannon, can't deal with him. He actually died in 2009 due to a stomach aneurysm, which I have never heard of. Your stomach just explode. I don't know. And they did have a big... So here's an Atlanta connection where we live. They had a big tribute to Midnight and to the band Crimson Glory with a bunch of guest vocalists doing their songs at Prague Power in 2009, which is always here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Prague Power's been going on for, I don't know, 15, 20 years in Atlanta. Don't know why it's in Atlanta, because this isn't like a haven for progressive music. No, you think Seattle or something. But they have Prague Power here, and it's the only thing that happens in the States. I've I've never heard of it. Oh, it's always down at Center Stage every year. I'll take your word for it. 15, 20 years. And it's like a three-day festival. Prague Power. my radar. Wow. Mm-mm. That's where I saw Metal Church. That's where I saw yeah. Saxon. They usually bring in a couple of bands that aren't quite prog, yeah. but they'll bring people to the seats. I got it. I get it. I mean, there's, I know about the garage sale at the drive-in movie on Saturday. <laughs> but you don't I, know about prog I stay power? up on that. You this know, thing I, sells out every really? year. People come from all over the nope, world to I, honestly, come to this thing. I honestly have never heard of it. It's right down the road. Wow. Now, the other thing to mention before we play a song from Crimson Glory is that they would move on eventually with a new singer named Todd Latour. Mm. But they didn't have him for very long because then Queensryche snatched him up when they had their issues with Jeff. Oh, he went to play with one he, of the Queensrykes. Yeah, he's he's now the one official of the singer Second of Reich. the official Reich. <laughs> yeah. Well, good that he's only two. You don't want a third one. 
That's <laughs> true. You don't want a third Reich. Nope, no, don't no, want no, that. No, no, no. We've had that. No, nope. didn't work out world, well. The world has spoken. No, they do not want a third Reich. That did not go well. But there actually is one, because Scott Rockenfeld left the band about two years oh, ago. Was there a third Reich? He has a third Reich. Oh, no. <laughs> no. This is bad. We should tell somebody. Hmm. That's... That people need to know about this. Hopefully, he doesn't call it Scott Rockenfield's Third Reich. Yeah, that would I was be bad. Say, a T-shirt for that was probably not something you want to wear around <laughs> town. Hey, the Flutten sagt auf die Lippen. Ein Tomelio wie ein Strap. Ein der Blitzen sagt auf Hütz. Hey. Anyway, uh, let's play some bad. Crimson Glory. Not their progressive metal stuff, but their in-betweener stuff. This is from Strange and Beautiful 1991.
All right, so in this one, I just couldn't see the possibility even of them crossing over in a, into the grunge world. I know they opened up for a couple of bands. Would you say uh, Allison Chains or yeah, it was Allison Chains and Soundgarden. Yeah, I just can't with his voice like that. I can't see. I'm, I know they did, but I I don't see that being a good fit. I think opening up for Extreme, all that was great. That's perfect for them. But that guy's voice is squarely planted in the glam rock world, right? And which it, is why they're in in betweener. Yeah, they didn't fit in really in either. But place. like I said, was some other bands I can feel some of that crossover yeah once again Crozier and Conformity all those other bands we listed I can feel that you know even if they didn't go very far after that Faith No More you know they still mm. had a little bit of alternative quality to it there was nothing alternative about that it was good yeah, yeah. Mike Patton talented was, Mike Patton alone was alternative <laughs> yeah exactly and, but that's all it took but yeah. see in this band the, the singer whoever that was was squarely glam metal and what do you maybe mean? locked him into it that was Midnight that was at Midnight that was Midnight oh, that was Midnight that was Midnight oh he recorded Recorded, but then he recorded on. and then he decided oh, to okay okay well anyway midnight <laughs> has definitely been huffing helium and it was way off in the stratosphere that's just doesn't really do it for me so i'm coming down hard on them for that but if they had toned that down because you look at somebody like chris cornell he could do that but he had more of a scream well that's what i was thinking of as i was listening to it i'm like i can totally see this vibing with uh in 91 with soundgarden's audience but it, yeah soundgarden it, moved pretty quickly after yeah. that they after bad motorfinger they became a commercial machine. Yeah, so true. When Soundgarden was more in the rock world, what metal world, whatever they yeah, were, yeah, they were more metal. They were then glam, than but they're they metal. Yeah. yeah, back then, yeah, they might have gelled a little bit better. But just a year later, yeah, that that was two different crowds right there. Because Cornell stopped doing that really, really high register. He only brought it out every once yeah. in a while after Bad Motorfinger to me. Yeah, but it was more of an accent, not like not the entire song. But I tell you what, if you would have heard the previous Crimson Glory stuff, uh-huh. you would have been like is that even the same band oh because of the the proggies completely different Well, you, you could... Uh, no, I could hear some of that. I could tell those guys had some skills. Well, they have some... I mean, that guitarist, yeah. that was not the guitarist that did the... This was a new guitarist for mm. this album, but that guy was amazing. Mm. Those guitar leads in that song were great. I totally dig it. At the time, I hated it. Yeah. When I bought that album, I hated it because I thought I was getting a progressive metal album. It wasn't album. what you're looking for. I bought it based on the name alone because mm-hmm. I had read about them. Because back in the day, that's the only way you could do it. Yep. You couldn't Try listen it to it. You just had to buy it. And yeah, I was... Unless you had a friend that worked at the record store. Exactly. And I was disappointed but looking back on it now I'm like this is a cool album it's yeah. so different okay I am about to play the I'll put air quotes here but I think it's true the most obscure thing we've ever played on this show that's saying a lot you pulled some stuff out of your record ass record collection <laughs> record ass. <laughs> yeah your, collect, your basement down got there t- got a 12 inch ass yeah extended <laughs> double album 
Ouch. <laughs> um, Put on the pounds, man. I've been trying to tell you. Yeah. So I will go on record saying I think this is probably the most obscure thing we've ever played. Now, this band. Only I, two people have ever heard it in the world. Is that what you're I, saying? I don't know how many people You don't people know that this. anybody's ever heard this. I know somebody's heard it, but I, not many. Okay. And the reason is, I'll, I'll go into it, but it's, this is a band that we've played before. We played them back on episode 19, and their first album was, they, again, People didn't know where to put this band in 1990 when their first album came out, or 91, and they called them a prog rock band. They weren't. They were kind of like a metal meets old school Rush, which, again, Rush wasn't really a prog band. They were just a hard rock band that had some proggy moments. Mm. But they were kind of rushy. They were kind of metal. They, they were psychedelic. They were clearly an in-betweener, but they got put into a prog rock genre, and this is a band called King of Kings. And we played from their one and only album that came out mm. on episode 19. They were on the DGC label, got released the same year as Nirvana, who were on the same label, same year that Nevermind came out. Oops. Their album, King of Kings, came out. We, we see where yeah, people so went. Somebody's like, oh, look over there. Nirvana. Don't worry <laughs> so, about what's behind you. So this band didn't go any further. They were discovered, oddly enough, by Frank Hannon from Tesla. He saw this band in New York and thought they were great, and that's how they got signed to Geffen. DGC was David Geffen company. So he's the reason that they even got their deal and thought they were done. I thought for years that was all they ever had. Never heard from them again. The the lead singer had a very baritone Morrison kind of voice, very cool voice. Uh, his name was Desmond Horn. I knew that he had passed away in 2014. I saw something on Facebook or something about that so didn't know that this was one of those bands that recorded a second album that never got released mm. they did now i just made a comment about it's so easy to release these things digitally now why mm. don't bands just do that well it depends on who owns it but somehow some way i was doing a, a very deep almost you know deep the web dark web dark web dive on this band trying to find out a lot of information there's just not that much out there about king of kings at one point in time around 2015 or so i found this thread it was like a, a blog and it was talking about their second album and so I just started reading it and I got I don't know maybe 50 comments down you know mm -hmm. all the all the blogs it's like one sentence and then you have somebody that responds yeah. another sentence and another sentence devolves into I probably got 50 down and this guy goes I actually have the leaked album and I'll post it here for a short time if you guys want it mm -hmm. and this had been posted like two years previously when I was reading it and I was like oh there's no way it's still going to be there well the link worked and so I hit the link and sure enough there were some mp3 files and I'm like I'm about to corrupt my system or something's oh, yeah. going to happen. This is, <laughs> this is bad. Say, this is, sounds really bad. <laughs> this is really stupid yeah. if you're downloading this, but I downloaded it mm. and it is the second album that never got released and I don't know how many people have this thing. You can't find it anymore. Mm. I can't find that thread. I've looked for it again. The reason I looked for it again is after I downloaded it, I didn't have the song titles. It just had track one to yeah. track 10 and I was like, shit. And, but I kept going down in the thread and lo and behold, in the thread is a guy named Desmond Horn. He was interacting with these guys. He's like, where'd you get this? This is great. I haven't heard this in forever. And then he listed the track listing for us. Wow. So I got the actual track listing from Desmond Horn. Before he passed. Before he passed away. Because it was done like two years prior to him passing. Yeah. So. That's cool. I thought it was pretty cool. So it was kind of sanctioned. It yeah. wasn't completely underhanded. So, you know, it's not, it wasn't a torrent. It's not yeah. like a, it was a bit torrent. It's just somebody posted it. Now, is the sound quality amazing? Pro no, it's not yeah. great. It's an old MP3 from whenever this person got it. So mm. have that in mind, but I'm okay. going to play from their second album, King of Kings. The album was to be titled Who's Your Guru? And this song is called Open Your Arms. They're clearly an in-betweener band.
you play those two back to back so you can see the difference in just the singer i mean what a great voice he has i love that sad he's not with us but you're absolutely spot on just a little bit of jim morrison they could have easily opened up or been right there with soundgarden and allison change with that song right there because it was rocking it was metal hard rock whatever you want to call it but it had enough minor chord progressions to make it really grungy sounding to me exactly and it had kind of a twist to it that was not so much 80s anymore. Yeah. It was more moving. It was darker. Where things were going and that's, darker. And that's another thing. It's not just the song. It's the content. Yeah. Well, grunge songs were just darker. There yeah. weren't that many happy songs at that time. Introspective. And, and, introspective. Yeah, that's where everything was going. Yeah. And the Helium Boys, you know, they were too happy <laughs> to fit in with a grunge crowd. Right. We, we weren't happy back then. We were all melodramatic and angst-ridden. Yeah. I've always just had this thing for that band. I Knowing that they only had the one album, there's something special about that. Yeah. Like, this band, you know, just a they came in, in, they burned out, and they were gone, you know, mm. and it was great. But when I found out, when I found this thing and found yeah. out that there was more... And the sound quality's fine. I mean, it's it, not bad. For a rock and song not like bad. that, once again, grunge wasn't perfect. It wasn't overly produced, yeah. and it, it was more raw. And so this is another reason that fits in with the, a little bit later. They're a good middle of the road, but they absolutely would have fit in a little bit later if they'd stuck around. They had some really cool lyrics too. This song, not so much. Yeah. But there were other songs where they just had these really cool kind of psychedelic lyrics. Mm -hmm. And Desmond Horn's real name was Kenny Young. You can actually find some of his poetry and things online today, but it's listed as Kenny Young. Kenny Young. It's Desmond Horn or Kenny Young. 
It's kind of how it goes, but he passed away in 2014. So unfortunately, I'm assuming this will never come out anywhere else. But I just that's totally, we're here for. I totally dig the that is why we're here stuff. So here's another one that's fairly obscure. You can find this, but a lot of people don't know about this. Another band from Houston, Texas. Today is the bands from Texas and Florida for some reason. Keeping it hot. <laughs> they were hot. They were in between. They didn't know where they were. <laughs> it was so hot. I couldn't think straight. Heaven hell is hot. <laughs> so another band from Houston, Texas. They only released one album, and the album got released really without them blessing it. They didn't think it was going to come out. And sure enough, uh, the record company put it out after they split up. Nice. It was a trio, and their rhythm section consisted of drummer Alan Doss, and their bass player was a guy named Monty Colvin, and they were produced and managed by a guy named Sam Taylor. So this is a band called The Awful Truth. Monty Colvin, who we talk about every week, bass player for Galactic Cowboys. Alan Doss would be the drummer for Mm -hmm. Galactic Cowboys. They did this band, The Awful Truth, in the late 80s, and I guess decided, along with Sam, this isn't exactly working out. Let's go form a new band. Mm -hmm. And so we got Galactic Cowboys in later 89, 90. So it wasn't long after this album got released without them really thinking Mm -hmm. that it was going to get released. Then you have Galactic Cowboys. So They're like, I don't know who that is. That's not us. No. They don't (laughs) don't really talk about this band. They had a different singer, different guitarist. I think it's really cool. It's cool to see where they come from. This has that same sort of flavor to it. It's heavy. It's got those harmonies in it. A bit of a different voice than the other bands that would come out of the whole Sam Taylor trio of bands. Mm -hmm. But if you need more information on Galactic Cowboys, we did a whole episode on them. It was episode 16. Galactic Cowboys should have been huge. So go check that out. I'm not going to go too much into Galactic Cowboys. They were definitely an in-betweener band as well. Interact with Monty? Didn't he reach out? Was that him? Uh, I had minor interaction okay. with him, but I had more interaction with Jimmy from Twenty Four Seven. Okay, that's one. We st- we still interact. Yeah. We, oh, you we do? Still, yeah. We, nice. It's so bizarre to me. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a place to crash anytime. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to play the awful truth. This is sort of the precursor again to Galactic Cowboys. <laughs>
happened? <laughs> they faked me out with a fake ending and then ended it abruptly like that. Made you get out of your chair, get come all the way across chair, the room like all that? All the way that 12 inches away from the microphone <laughs> that I was sitting. That was a long distance to go and then sit back down. No, that was blistering. That was really good. I like that. The, there's so many different elements of that. The very beginning, the bass line was, made me think of Wood by Allison Chains. Mm, yep. it just just slightly different tempo, but then in the middle, having the devil went down to Georgia breakdown. <laughs> the guitarist definitely was a Kirk Hammett fan yeah. because he used a lot of those Kirk Hammett tricks <laughs> in those leads. Yeah, yeah just that, going chromatic up, down. Chromatic scale all the way up and down. Oh, God, I wish I would have practiced scales. I never did. Um, but yeah, that was blistering. That came that out really in 1989. That was, yeah, that would have been very different than everything else going on at the time, too. Yeah, yeah. so I could see where people are going, I'm not sure where to put that. Yeah, but definitely signaled what you were going to get with Galactic yeah. Cowboys. Some of that start, stop stuff mm-hmm. that they were doing was completely lifted and put into Galactic Cowboys yeah. songs. And those big <laughs> harmonies, once again. Big harmonies, Interesting yeah. that you picked those three. I'm not interesting, but I'm glad you picked those three. You can see what one person's influence that's not in the band, how big that can be. Who came from ZZ Top, which is just the weirdest thing. Yeah, they didn't, I mean, they had a couple of harmonies here and there, but weren't, that's not what they were known for. Yeah, just bizarre. And it didn't last. For I don't really know what the reason was. I'm assuming yeah. it had something to do on the business side, probably yeah. with, with money, but I don't know. Really cool stuff, though, and I didn't find out about this album until much later. I didn't know there was something before Galactic Cowboy. It's a kick to me just to hear this stuff that mm-hmm. Monty was doing prior to Galactic Cowboys. Good job, Monty. Now go buy a Monty Colvin print at montycolvinart.com. <laughs> we get 0.06% for commission. All right, so I'm going to play another band that we've played before, and we played this band back in episode 39, which was a Degrees of Separation, the Big Four of Thrash. Remember that one? Mm. Probably not. No. <laughs> we played this band. I, I know the big four of Thrash. I don't remember the episode. In that episode, just to kind of tee that up, if you want to go listen to episode 39, basically we play bands that were related to the members of the big four of the Thrash bands. So these are kind of side projects or other solo albums yeah. or things. That Not like out. their cousins or anything. It's just... Yeah, it could have been their cousins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once removed. Yeah. You know, that works too. This band happens to be a band that Megadeth guitarist Chris Poland, who he was the, Megadeth had a lot of guitars. He was yeah. the original. He was in Killing Is My Business and Peace Sells. He was on those first two albums. And then he left Megadeth. He put out a solo album. But then in the early 90s, he put together this band called Damn the Machine. And the way that I knew about this band was I went to, and I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. I went to my local record store in Clemson, South Carolina when I was in college. And they had, they used to have this little basket of free casingles at the cash register. These were casingles. And what they were is they would get these promotions emotional singles, which mm-hmm. was a very short tape. It only had one or two songs on it. One on one side, one on the other. Yeah, and they'd give them away for free. And so they had, it was like a black, just a black card. They came in like a little paperboard box. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even sealed or anything. And Because they really was, didn't care if you stole they did, them. They didn't really didn't care. It was just <laughs> a, a black with white print. And it, it said, damn the machine on it. And then it said something like, featuring Chris Poland, X Megadeth or mm-hmm. something like that. So I picked it up. 
thought it was cool. And sure enough, this is a band that in 1993 was, I don't think they really knew what they were going for. They're a little bit proggy, a little bit thrashy, obviously, because mm-hmm. they're coming from a thrash guy. Yet they're kind of alt sounding, like kind of alternative sounding for 93. Not so much grungy, but definitely not just old school 80s metal. I don't think anybody knew what to do with them. They only put out this one album. I thought it was really good, but it just, it didn't have any place to fit at that time. I don't think they were going to be, the thrash guy is not going to be accepted in the new alternative grunge mm-hmm. world. It didn't work that way. So I mean, the, the people in the grunge world respected that. Like, you had Metallica fans. But they were moving on from the, that. Yeah. They, they wanted to establish themselves as something else. Right. They all cut their hair and tried yeah. to be part of that. Yeah. I always thought it was cool. It's unique. It is definitely a little proggy, but it has kind of that same thing that we've been hearing with these other bands with a really good vocals. Mm-hmm not thrash vocals. So that's what really separates this from from the thrashiness of it. And I do remember that I picked up this single the same day that I bought two other in-betweener albums because I was really into this kind of stuff at this time. I picked up I Mother Earth Mm-hmm. we've played several times on the show. Definitely an in-betweener band. And I picked up uh, another band called Mind Over 4. Picked mm-hmm. that up at the same time. One and done for this band. I played their first single. I'm going to play their second single. They only had two singles. Makes it easy. I'm playing side B of the tape that I got. <laughs> so here is Lonesome God from Damn the Machine. Inclu- is the hiss included? No. No, I've de-hissed it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I took the snakes out. <laughs> Yeah. 
and I can't figure that one out. So that was I was polka dancing. What were you doing? Yeah, I, the time signature was very <laughs> odd. Like, Son of a time to tap my foot along to this. But it, it wasn't thrash. No, it, it wasn't, wasn't thrash. I don't know what it was. It had some noodly bits, but not thrash. I don't like I said. That's a tough one. It's cool. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's out it there. Was more though. more eclectic and proggy for sure than I guess. I wouldn't stuff. consider it prog. Not pro- it was, but no, it's just more proggy because it had a lot yeah. of stop. And in my start stops less than experienced mind of prog rock you got to keep in mind for everybody listening i'm not into prog rock i I respect it there's a few songs here and there that i might get into despite the fact that i'm a massive pink floyd fan that's like the only one that i really allow myself to get into or any variant thereof roger waters or anything like that so when i say it sounds like proggy you're talking about somebody that has very limited prog experience going oh that sounds kind of proggy no yeah i get it I, i i don't have any street cred in the prog world so you can they can laugh at me all they want to but it's simply because it has lots of stops and starts and weird time signatures for me that makes it proggy i get that did you put them in my classification of in-betweener yeah yeah okay. absolutely. like i said because i couldn't figure out which way to go with that right it's, it's not glam it's not thrash it's yeah. not quite grunge it's like borrowing from this and yeah. it's heading towards that and I, it yeah, it really is kind of the hot. In 1993, nobody knew what to do with that. No. Like, what <laughs> shelf do you put that on in the record store? I don't know how to market that. Let's just put it by the cash register and give it away. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the next one, which I just mentioned I picked up at the same time on the same day. And this is a band called Mind Over Four. Now, I picked up their 93 album because I picked the last one up in 1993. Mm. I played from their 93 album way, 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 way back on episode number one. Episode number one. We two, played... We, two years now? So we played this band on October 24th, 2019. Yeah, God. Isn't that crazy? Wow, that's when we started. That's when we started. Cold, dreary fall evening episode the firehouse. One. We were just rambling, we much like we say. do today. Yeah, yeah, we just kind of pulled stuff out of our ass. <laughs> Not much has changed. <laughs> Not much has changed. <laughs> so I played this band. They were one of the uh, groupings of, that yeah. was 90, that was a 90 show because that's where yeah. we started our I'm, musical journey. I'm looking over the one thing that has changed. The dog has calmed down quite a bit. He has calmed down quite yeah. a bit. Yes, you're right. Yeah, so he, we, he still uh, lets bark out. Yeah, once, once in a while. But you remember the old days we had to throw him out of the room. Yeah, he could not be in the room with no, us. No, we had to lock him out of the room because he was so that's wild. Right. Yep. <laughs> but he's he's over there just having a nap. So anyway, I, I digress. Oh, that's fine. So yeah, so we played this band. It was a 90s episode. That's where we started our musical journey together. Yes. That's why we chose that for our first episode. And this was the last song of that first episode. And this band, they're from Orange County, California. When they started in the 80s, they were more of a arty punk band. Hmm. And they kind of brought in this psychedelic vibe and then this heavy metallic vibe as they went on through the years. And they put out, uh, I believe, four albums with their biggest album coming out in 93. That was the one I picked up and the one I hmm. played from. But the album that came out in 1990 is even more kind of in this category of in between because I don't think they had figured out exactly where they were going as the 90s came in and where they were headed. Mm. It's I, I don't know how to categorize this. It's definitely an in-betweener. Yeah, so let's just listen to it. It comes off an album called The Goddess, and this is a song called 12 Days of Wind. Some days I don't 
a short. I picked one that was a little more straightforward because yeah. they have some weird stuff. And that one is a little bit more straightforward. Yeah. Once again, not sure where I'd put that on the shelf at the record store. A little bit of punk rock. Yeah. They came from a punk background, but yeah. then they shifted into this. And the, the guitarist is like very jazz schooled mm. kind of guy. So he can just really, a lot of times his leads are like jazz movements. <laughs> like, what, wow. are, what are you guys doing? Yeah. I, Ugly Kid Joe comes to mind. Kind of the, the vocals on that, where it was, once again, full on into the rock world, not grunge, but still with that they sensibility. They got lumped in. They totally got lumped yeah. into the glam metal and yeah. that killed and they them. Were, yeah. They were probably less glam than most of the other bands. Mm-hmm. The vocalist, his name's Spike Xavier for that band, and he had a very, obviously, a unique voice. Mm. In 93, he actually was invited to audition as the lead singer of Anthrax because Joey Belladonna was leaving. Yeah. They ultimately went with John Bush from Armored Saint, but they had this guy as potentially as one, as one Anthrax of the potential singers, candidates. which would have been very bizarre. <laughs> And the other notable thing for Mind Over 4, which I've mentioned before, way back on episode one, is if you look on the back cover of the Pantera album Vulgar Display of Power, Phil Anselmo is wearing a Mind Over 4 t-shirt. Oh, it's a nice little shout out to him. Yeah, so. Have we repeated any songs from that first episode? No, no, no. I don't allow that. I know. I'm just saying, that's pretty cool. We've done all these episodes and have yet to repeat any of those songs. Yeah, there's enough music out there. We'll never have to do that. But that's I amazing, am, though. I am hitting on some bands that we've played before because yeah. they fit. We've talked about this. Yeah, but the band's one This thing, genre that I made up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about in-betweeners for a long time, the so tweeners. I just felt it was time. The tweeners. The tweeners. Yeah. Okay. Now, the very last one we're going to play is the band that had the most success out of any of these we've talked about. People know this band, but you may not realize that they were an in-betweener because they got really lumped in with the glam metal, the hair metal, mm. because just like Extreme, they had a big, big hit with a ballad. Power ballad. And that kind of killed them for Mm. doing more afterwards, even though they put out some very good albums after that. So... uh their second album was called The Lizard. It reached number 80 on the Billboard 200, again, on the strength of this one single that's called Love Is On The Way. Oh, God. And it was a number 12 hit on the Billboard Hot 100, so both the album and the single mm-hmm. went gold. I've sung along to that so many times so in you, the car. you know this song, huh? Every time the Is this the one they Hair still Nation? play on Hair Nation? Oh, yeah, absolutely. At least, oh, yeah. Oh, you know this one. Oh, You baby. know the band? Oh, yeah. It's a band from Florida. Saigon Kick. Saigon Kick, that's right. All right, so I'm not going to... Love just... is on the way. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. That's not what they sounded like, though. That no. is not who, no. that is not no, who Saigon no. Kick were. Yeah, that's what was selling. <laughs> That sold some records. Well, so they're an in-betweener. They kind of did everything, Mm -hmm. but they were heavy. No, they had a huge following in Florida, real rabid fans down there that loved them. And then that happened. And all of a sudden it was like, uh, yeah, it's not cool to like them anymore. (laughs) No, I got to turn my back on you guys. Sorry. And that's, yeah. So they sold a bunch of albums, but it kind of killed them. They're from Miami and uh, they were heavy. They had the same thing. They they were heavy, yet they had these awesome Beatles-esque harmonies. Mm -hmm. Because you had Jason Beeler on guitar, and then you had the singer as well, and they, they just put together these great harmonies. They had a bunch of soundscapes and textures in between their songs, kind of like Floyd. Mm. You know, they had these things that bridged the songs together in their albums. They were funky when they needed to be. They were kind of proggy. They were really good musicians, and they just weren't represented by what made them famous. Mm. So it kind of killed them. And after that record, they went in to record their third album in Sweden, which that 
that would have been pretty cool to go record an album in Sweden. The singer wasn't happy where he was. He wasn't happy with the band's mm-hmm. direction and he split, went back to Florida. And so Mr. Jason Beeler had to step up and not only do the harmonies, which he was doing, he had to now be the lead singer as well as the guitarist. So they brought in another guitarist. They then became a two guitar band and they put out this third album called Water in 1994. Great album. They have a cool cover of Space Oddity by David Bowie on it. It's uh-huh. like a real rocked up version. Really cool stuff. Great album but they had been labeled Mm -hmm. (laughs) thoroughly labeled the people that bought the big hit single on Mm -hmm. the lizard didn't like what came out on water and the people that knew who they were they weren't going to buy that kind of stuff anymore in 1994 Mm -hmm. and unfortunately that's that's what happened to this band atlantic dropped them after this album they would go on to put out a few more albums but it just you know didn't pan out for Mm -hmm. them they did the smart thing though and it actually worked so they actually put out two more albums, and then end of the 90s, they were like, you know what? We're going to change our name. We're going to change the name of the band to Super Transatlantic, is what they called themselves. They were no longer Saigon Kick. They were mm-hmm. Super Transatlantic. Kind of like another band changed their name, this kind of Transatlantic, Trans-Siberian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very similar. The same thing happened, although on a much smaller scale, but if you go look at the... American Pie movie that came out in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. You look at that soundtrack, there is a song by Super Transatlantic on it. Oh. So they were able to cross over because if, if I remember correctly, those movies had like the pop punk kind of thing in mm-hmm. them and they landed a song on one of those soundtracks. That was kind of the only thing they did. They put out one album and that was kind of it. And then Jason Beeler has gone on to do his own thing. Mm-hmm. And I said it in my 2021 recap. He had my favorite album of last year, Jason Beeler's Baron Von Bielski Orchestra song for the apocalypse love 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 that album still listen to it about every month let me guess they're all living in nashville with all the other hair bands well beeler is yeah yeah I believe it's like the right. hair band mecca now the retirement mecca for hair bands yep that's the story so we're gonna play some saigon kick we're gonna let you hear what they really sounded like if you don't know and even that the album that the big single was on the lizard yeah. the rest of it didn't sound like the single so it was probably one of those things where a soccer mom picked it up because she loved that song on the radio and then mm-hmm. hated the rest of the album <laughs> women love that song that is that's no secret So I'm going to play what should have been the follow-up to the big single. This is Torture.
bringing back the fade out. Yeah, that's right. Even in the 90s. A little phaser on it. Yeah, that, that was a great guitar tone. Just a heavy rocking song, yeah. I mean, the vocals gave it away that this was probably, you know, if you didn't know who it was, I guess like, yeah, is probably somebody that hung around the hair bands and, you know, it's okay if they get grouped in with that. But I still think if they didn't have the hit they have with Love mm-hmm. Is On The Way, that that probably still could have transitioned into the 90s. They, they might have. It had some heaviness to it and it was not... But that ballad was not so hair metal. drippy oh, sappy yeah. sweet oh, yeah. hair, hair ballad and i the believe they there. i think they had somebody come in to help with that song like i don't know if it was a writer or somebody to play on it or oh, something yeah. there was something where that wasn't even completely a saigon kick song it was just somebody handed it to him and goes here's an idea i may have that wrong but yeah. i believe i remember reading that <laughs> So it's like, but it was the case damned of death if you do, damned them. if you don't. Yeah, you, you <laughs> sold you know a million records and had huge tours and number got to live the life hit. for a while yeah. at least. Number twelve hit on the Billboard 100. I mean, the single went gold. Yeah. Album went gold and the single went gold. It is what it is. Yeah. So those are the in betweeners. There's several more that I have. Not quite that, this. Not quite that. Yeah, I don't know. Really know what they are, but it was kind of a sweet spot for me. Obviously, mm. I bought all this stuff. I love this stuff. I love when bands can just take a little something from over here, mm. a little spice from here and just throw it all together and just like i said it's musical goulash and extreme is the band that i think of the most when i think of this type of music that in between music because they had the couple other minor hits right before i stopped listening to extreme along with the damn yankees and a couple other bands like that that were just trying to do something slightly different but not different enough to really carry them over you would put damn yankees in this category in the sense that they were they they showed up the late 80s in the 90s they had just some more rocking hits yeah they had the big power back ballads too but yeah, I think of them as one. like the power ballad band because they, they had Tommy Shaw oh hell yeah I mean they could they could write a damn yeah, ballad Jack Blaze but they, they had, and they had the Nuge the Nuge what did he do <laughs> he just stood in the background and made faces that's all but no they had some rocking songs to them you didn't hear as many of those yeah, because no. you heard the power ballads but the yeah. rocking songs is what I'm thinking of that re- resemble this where they were just rocking out they weren't trying to be glam rock but because of who was in the band you couldn't get away from it and for those guys for damn Yankees at least those guys were way out of their element kind yeah. of moving forward yeah, so because they were their even bands were, were done. Older basically. guys from yeah. the 70s Yeah, by the time they got around to grunge. Yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess you could kind of throw them in here a little bit. I don't think they, they would have fit in with the, the grunge. They, they never would have transitioned. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. But it, they, they hung out there in that in-between zone for a while. So I did think of one other band that was an in-betweener as well. Oh, oh I'm sure we're going to think of several as soon as we cut the mics off, right? That's yeah, probably. That's when we do our best thinking. It's when we're not Now, this, this is another New York band. So we do have a few New York okay, bands so that they we consider. tend to show up and go away. They do. Uh, so this was a band. They had these guys originally. They had these painted faces. What was their name again? Dolls. Um, no, it wasn't them. It was, um, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> That was awesome. Ronnie James D.O.G. getting in on the Kiss Connection with a K. It's it's sweeping the nation. Mm. Yeah, so Kiss, if you think about 1992, the reason I would throw them in the in-betweeners is they came out with Revenge. Mm-hmm. Now, they talked about that album as being the new Destroyer because yeah. everything had to be the new Destroyer because that was a very successful album and they, never, they wanted to market they, it And they way. never could get and that. And they never get It was heavier than anything they had done in the 80s and it was them, you know, wearing all black and trying to be tough and it was kind of an in-between thing because mm-hmm. grunge hadn't 
didn't really hit when that came out. Yeah. Came out the kind of the same year that that was all starting to happen. I guess it was starting to happen, but it wasn't grunge. It wasn't the glam metal they were doing in the eighties. It was kind of them figuring out where they were going to go. And it's funny because it's it's in between them, not in the past, and then in the future. It was in between the past and then going further in the past, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> putting the makeup back on, was, bringing the other members back it, in the it band. Was, what are we going to do to be current? You know what we'll do? We'll just go retro. Just go totally retro. <laughs> and it worked. And that worked really well yeah. for them. They're still doing it to this day. <laughs> <laughs> even though they quit. Even though it's... Five years ago. Even though all the vocals are pre-recorded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lips again, lips again. People, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I got for you. If you think of some more people, send them my um, way. This, is, this can be a part tour. Yeah, because I really dig this stuff. So yeah, thanks too. for sticking with me. And thanks for letting me make up a new genre. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. See you. Later. No, 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 it goes like this. Ruff, ruff. Okay, okay, that's pretty good.